Listening to The Holistic Voice with your hosts, Austin Vitaliano and Jordan Reynolds. All right, welcome to The Holistic Voice. Austin, what happened for you this week? Well, it was a pretty exciting week. I auditioned for the DC and Maryland chapter National Association of Teachers of Singing voice competition. And after a long Saturday afternoon, I found out that I placed first for my division. So I'm headed to regionals. That's so awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to keep all of you in the know. Definitely follow Holistic Voice podcast on Instagram. And I'll try to post on Facebook, too, of the journey in the next couple of weeks. Regionals are March 22nd for uh, Northeastern region. So I'll be uh, up against all those all those people there. And like I said, I'll keep you posted, Jordan, okay? That'd be great. Yeah, so be posting about it. Keep it on the Instagram story so we can follow you in that process. I'd love that. Absolutely. How about yourself? What's going on? So lately, you know, I've been writing a lot of songs. And one of them that I've been working on, I've worked on with my sister, Rachel Reynolds. You can find her music under La Troen, which is L-A-T-R-O-I-E-N-N-E on Spotify and a few other places. But we've been joining forces on this song for a songwriting competition. I'll give you all a bit more detail about it in probably the next episode because it's one of those things, you know, you upload a YouTube video and get so many likes and you get further in the competition. Right. So I'll let you know about that when it happens, but really excited about the project. It's been a really fun song to work on. Cool. Awesome. Well, we're really, I'm really excited to hear about that in more detail in the next coming weeks for sure. Great. So Austin, tell us about this episode. What are we going to talk about? Okay, so it's really exciting. Uh, this guest has been actually a professor of mine for three years in my undergraduate level. So imagine yourself, you're a singer, you're a vocalist, you're going through a lot of voice lessons, you're performing, and there is something that is tense in your body that's not allowing you to be as free as you would like. And your teachers have told you, maybe it's jaw tension, uh, maybe it's your soft palate, maybe it's something happening with tightening your, your breath, etc., etc. Imagine that it might be a habit of the space behind your neck being tense or your spine being uh, crunched or a little bit tense there because of all of the different ways that you have been tensing your body and all of the habits that you have been uh, you know, practicing unintentionally for years. So this week we interviewed Sally Honor, who is a certified teacher of the Alexander Technique. And basically she talks to us about rethinking those harmful habits that have built up over your lifetime and learning how to move more freely. So I'd love to jump in to our interview now. Hi, everyone. Austin and Jordan here with a special guest, Sally Honor, senior artist teacher at Vanderbilt University's Blair School of Music and ATI certified teacher of the Alexander Technique. Sally, thank you so much for joining us today. It is my great honor. I had the chance of being Sally's student while at Vanderbilt University, so we worked uh, closely dealing with 
spatial awareness, body awareness, and this lifestyle that is the Alexander Technique. So, Sally, please, can you explain to us and the audience what is the Alexander Technique and how did you become involved in this body awareness lifestyle? Well, the Alexander Technique is difficult to define in a few words, but my elevator definition is it's a way of getting out of your own way. And some people get that right away, and some people look at me strangely. So uh, I will say that it is a body-mind discipline that helps you undo habits that are harmful and establish some new ones that are much more healthy. It is also a way to learn how to learn. Absolutely. And I think it really helped a lot of us in the Blair School of Music as performers, um, the Alexander Technique, it was a way, I thought, to really open my mind to a new perspective of, of what my body could do and how it can move. Yes, I had to unlearn, and some people call this the art of unlearning. I had to unlearn a lot. And I just want to say at the, the beginning here that if some of the things that I say strike my, the audience as, oh my gosh, you know, I've been teaching that and I didn't know, that's exactly right. And all of us are like that. So we can only teach what we know. And then when we learn something new, we can teach that. So Alexander's work is the best way I know to keep learning all the time. And uh, so it, it offers you a process rather than a, a product. I always loved Alexander's story as well. That was one of our first lessons that you taught. Alexander was a performer himself, correct? Yes. Alexander lived from 1869 to 1955. He was probably about the age of my college students when he wanted to be an actor and he was studying acting in Australia. And he began getting gigs, as we say nowadays, and he began losing his voice. And if, in those days, you, you well, an actor now, unless you're a mime, have to be able to speak. He, it was especially true then because there was no electronic amplification. I mean, if you picture maybe 1889, 1890, somewhere in there, what our technology was. It was all about projection of the voice into spaces. Um, sometimes if the large audience, maybe more projection needed than uh, in a smaller room. So he kept getting partway through his performance and losing his voice. So he went to a doctor who looked at his vocal folds and said, well, you haven't damaged anything. That was a relief. But he said they're inflamed. So you need to rest. Now, Alexander was about to, to decide whether he could take this really important gig. So the doctor felt that if he went on vocal rest for a couple of weeks, he would be fine. So Alexander took the gig. He went on vocal rest. Sure enough, his voice got better. But halfway through the performance, he started losing his voice. So we went back to the doctor and said, you know, it must be something that I'm doing while I'm performing. And the doctor agreed that it that was possible, but he didn't know how to help 
FM. So he decided to help himself. And this was his genius, um, that he put up mirrors to watch what he was doing. Maybe unwittingly, he applied the scientific method. He observed what he did, and then he tried different things. And in the process, he discovered long before it was uh, in the scientific community, the mind-body unity. He discovered it in a very practical way, and he solved his problem. It took him a while, and he, uh, other people came to him and said, I've got the same problem. Can you help me? And he had learned it by telling himself certain things he called directions. But he realized that they didn't get the same effect. So he began teaching by hand. And he used gentle touch and his own ability to be present in that way, to guide other people. And that's the traditional way all of us that are teachers at this time have been taught. Jordan, how familiar does Alexander's story sound to you and all the, a lot of performers? Well, I wasn't familiar with Alexander's specific story, but I do think that a lot of people can relate to Alexander as far as running out of steam halfway through performance. I'm fascinated to learn more about this. I'm, I really am not super familiar with Alexander technique. Yeah, and it's interesting. We train as Alexander teachers for three years. Mm -hmm. to learn how to do this. This is not, you know, two weekend workshops and a certification. It's very involved because the first person we have to train is ourselves. This is true no matter where you are. But with Alexander, we want not to communicate more tension, more stress, more compression of the spine. That's particularly the important thing not to do. And uh, so we have to be very aware in other words, we have to be doing the, the thinking and taking care of our own use, as Alexander called it. Otherwise, we communicate something not as helpful. And, and this is really playing into the, this thinking about how your body is positioned, is playing into that word that you mentioned before, that kinesthetic sense. Just uh, to break that down, kinesthetic is is relating to a person's awareness of, of the position and the movement of parts of their body through physical movements. I'm very curious too, Sally, um, of, of rethinking that kinesthetic sense where our awareness is. And so there are particular spaces that we went through in our coursework, and you kind of touched on one of them, you know, uh, thinking about where that space is in the back of your neck. But could you ex expand on that a little bit? Alexander had a specific set of instructions or directions that he taught. But a lot of us in the uh, Alexander land have found them mysterious, their meaning exactly. And sometimes you don't learn their meaning until a lot of time has passed. So I've developed uh, what I call three-space thinking. We're always thinking about the space in front of us. That's just our orientation. Our eyes are in front of us. I have asked my students through body mapping to think about the space behind them, for instance. And they don't have to do anything. They just have to think it and allow rather than do or make. I often tell my students, 
I think we map our bodies according to our clothing rather than according to our actual structure. So one of the first things I have them find is their sit bones, which are the bottom of the torso. And uh, once they find those, then I ask them to think about the space between the sit bones and the ground. So that adds in to the space behind them. And then the third space is the space above their heads, so they're not tempted to compress, to get smaller, uh, especially not to pull the head down onto the spine. And so if it takes practice to think of those three spaces all at once. But once you do, you find that your body begins to move. And Alexander's work is all about this subtle movement or gross movement if you're dancing or running or doing sports or whatever, but basically this tiny movement that is natural to vertebrates and that helps us uncompress. I have had the best posture of any of the interviews I've had so far just uh, listening to you all over again, so... (laughs) So I'm sitting in my chair right now, Sally. Can you take us and our audience members? I I just, I know where my sit bones are because I've sat in the class, but it took me a while. And I know that, you you know, with one or two sentences, you can't really explain that to us over a podcast. But if our listeners are curious and trying to find it themselves sitting down, how could they find them? Uh, The easiest way is to bring your hands in with your fingers pointing toward uh, the middle of of where you're sitting, close to the top of your thigh bone. If you bring them in, and you know, if you feel meat, you can just move the meat behind you. But you'll feel bony protuberances. Their actual name is ischial tuberosities, which is why we call them sit bones. Uh, And they are the bottom of the two pelvic bones. And you can explore by rocking forward. They sort of disappear. Uh, If you rock back, they mash your fingers. If you rock back even further, they disappear. And if you sort of start in that mash fingers zone, you may notice a change already. And I want to say something important here that Alexander said there is no such thing as a right position. But there is such thing as right direction or right thinking. So I start with people in this position because it's easier to find your balance, but you by no means limited to this. So finding your sit bones then allows your legs to release and be not braced while you're sitting allows your spine to lengthen upwards. It just does that by itself because you come into balance. And a word here, our prevailing postural directions are pretty much wrong. (laughs) We tend to get the feeling that we have to lift ourselves up and we do that from the chest. But our support is actually from the pelvis up. And so when we're sitting on our sit bones, we're allowing that pelvic support to come into play. And then, the, the, you know, your body already knows how to do this, but we override it with other thoughts. 
And so what we're doing is clearing those out and saying, what if I just could rock? They're kind of curved anyway, so some people call them rockers instead of sit bones. What if I could rock gently, just a little bit on there, and what might change? We're always asking ourselves observational type questions. You probably remember, Austin, I would ask you ad nauseum, what are you noticing? (laughs) That is the observation question. I would love to connect for our listeners now why something like this, knowing where your sits bones are, would relate to your performance. You know, specifically for your voice giving out, how can your relationship with your body improve that? That's a really good question because it, it, it is the crux of the matter. There is no separation. And so what is going on in your body is your voice. And what is going on in your mind is your body and your voice. It's all one thing. So the more you enable your body to function freely the way it's supposed to, the simpler everything gets, including breath. So I will just say this, too. Until you learn how to balance yourself, which is what we're doing, you cannot release a tight jaw. Mm-hmm. Because the tight jaw is because your head is out of balance. And Alexander worked especially with the balance of the head on the spine. So it's, um, it is working in the way that I work and a lot of my colleagues with this understanding of how our bones and are related to each other, how our joints move, and allowing that movement to be free rather um rather than resisted. Most of us tighten our muscles and then try to move, which is sort of like putting the emergency brake on your car and driving it. So Alexander's work is how do we let go of the brake? So we just move without hindrance. And everything is movement. Breath is movement. Thought is movement. Um, We just get freely moving organisms. Sally, you lastly wanted to reorganize the way we think about breathing. And I think that's especially important for us as a vocalist who use our breath as a source for everything that we do. Did you want to speak a little bit about breath in terms of body mapping? I do because I thought I understood, but when I studied body mapping, I realized that I had either incomplete or totally wrong conceptions of how we breathe. Uh, And I thought I might just briefly go some of those misconceptions. These are things I hear all the time, whether they are singers, whether they are wind players, brass players, whether they practice yoga, whether they're athletes, it doesn't matter. We all have many of these. Well, one of them is that we have to learn something called diaphragmatic breathing. And I'm here to tell you that you were born doing that. You've been doing that all your life. And there's no way we have direct control over the diaphragm anyway. I mean, that is a physiological fact. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to learn to use our diaphragm in exactly the way that most of us think. Our diaphragm is functioning or you'd be either dead or on a ventilator. So that part, in a way, just releases some of the preoccupations we have with our abdominal wall. The second is you cannot put your hand on your diaphragm. 
So I have a lot of students are taught by choral directors or whoever that if you put your hand flat on your belly below your sternum, your breastbone, that you have your hand on your diaphragm. I can assure you, you do not. And you cannot have your hand on the diaphragm because it's not a vertical muscle, it's a horizontal muscle. It's like a dome. But there is no such thing as abdominal breathing because no air goes there. Mm -hmm. That's really important because people often stick out their abdominal wall thinking that they are helping themselves breathe. Alexander's work is almost always indirect. And we are the culture of direct. You know, if I have a problem with my carpal tunnel, I'm going to focus my attention on the carpal tunnel. But Alexander would focus first on what I try to get people to do through the three spaces and realize that it's a whole body-mind problem. And then you, you really get to the bottom of it. And hopefully you don't have to have surgery because you find out, well, oh, it's really a neck problem. So learning ways to think about breathing that don't get in the way of the natural process are something I'm still working on. Uh, I've had some success with a few of them. Just to say, well, you know, I have no direct control, but what can I think that might help my body-mind work best? So it's, um, it's, it changes things. And I, I can say for myself, I wish I'd known this when I was doing more performing because it changes everything. It's so much easier. And the sound is fuller, richer, uh, often register problems go away just like that. And certainly if you're body mind is working in, in Alexandrian ways, your jaw can free because it's not you it's not trying to hold up a head that's unbalanced. Question about breathing. How do you work with students to help them allow that support? Because I, I like this language of allowing and letting, but where I fear that could uh, cause issues is if you were going to have a what we would call a full supported sound. How do you work that into your language in Alexander Technique? Very good question. One of the things that we don't really define very well is breath support. You know, we talk about that, what that means. And in Alexander, in body mapping world, we divided the support in two. One is the support for yourself. And that has to do with what I was talking about uh, partly here. There's other things. You know, when you stand to sing, you have to be able to allow your legs to support you without tensing them. Uh, most of us tense our legs most of the time. So it's the, the support of the whole self, allowing the neck to be free, Alexander said, uh, using the three-space thinking, which allows for movement. Almost immediately when my students begin thinking with the three spaces, their breath starts moving. For uh, breath support, you have to ask yourself just one basic question. Do I need more flow or do I need more resistance to the flow? 
That's that's it, actually. But you, I think first you have to help a person. That's where Alexander's work is so very fundamental. If a person cannot stand without tensing every muscle in their body, they are not going to be able to breathe no matter what you tell them. And I had a question about, you, you mentioned if you need more flow and more resistance. What, what do you mean by that resistance and where does a student start to find that? Well, it's interesting. If I asked you to breathe in five counts, hold your breath for five counts, and breathe out for five counts, how would you do that? You would know Im- immediately how to do that. How would you do that? You would think. You would just think. You would give yourself okay, I'm going to breathe in for five counts, I'm going to hold my breath for five counts, and I'm going to release for five counts. And it happens. So, you know, the one I give my students, and I have to work with them a little bit so they have some understanding of this, is to imagine, and this is the operative word, imagine that after you inhaled and you're ready to start to sing, you imagine that you are still allowing the air to come in. But you don't do that muscularly. So I was taught um, to do something muscularly. I was taught to hold my ribs out while I started to sing. But what that does is interfere with the elasticity of the ribs and with the movement of the diaphragm and other muscles. So we can't control those muscles directly, but we can use an image. And the image is the thought that connects with the body. And that's why we try to find ones. And the teacher is very important to monitor that they're not trying to stiffen. Anything that causes stiffness is antithetical to good singing, good living. You know, so that's that's one of the ways that I use it. Sometimes I teach them by having them breathing in through their nose and out through their mouth without singing, just so they get the movement of the coordination of breathing. Because one of the things I didn't know is that the ribs, of course, I knew this when you inhale, they move up and out and and. Uh, But at the same time, the spine gets a little bit shorter just because of the movement of the ribs on the spine. The spine gathers in the thoracic curve. And then when you exhale, it returns. So there's a lot of contrary motion going on. And when students can get that, then they begin to get that they could let the ribs be free to move without making them into a rigid cage. And the whole idea of pushing the air with the abdominals is antithetical to good singing. What I found is it makes my jaw tight, it makes my tongue tense, then I have to do an awful lot of other things to release that tension. Whereas with Alexander's work, you try to keep it from happening in the first place by thinking in ways that Work with your, with your structure instead of against it. Sally Honor, Senior Artist Teacher at Vanderbilt University's Blair School of Music and ATI Certified Teacher of the Alexander Technique. I'm sure our audience will be having questions. This has been a very interesting interview. I would love to direct them to sallyhonor.com 
where you have a wonderful blog, a wealth of information, as well as information to contact you personally. Sally, uh, I know that our audience members uh, can feel free to contact Jordan or I for more information, but was there any other literature or any other information that you wanted to direct our listeners to at the end of this episode? Yes, there are two really great books that were informed by body mapping in particular was What Every Singer Needs to Know About the Body by Malde, Allen, and Zeller, but I know that there will be no other book by that title. And it's it's basically a body mapping book, but it has a wealth of information all the way to stage deportment and everything. And it has a whole section on common breathing errors, which is very interesting. The other book is Voice and the Alexander Technique by Jane Heyrich. And it's, it is more of the Alexander Technique itself, but very clear exercises to do, things to try, uh, a remarkable in-depth book. So the, I would start with what every singer needs to know about the body, lots of anatomical pictures, uh, then maybe go to Voice and the Alexander Technique by Jane Heirich, H-E-I-R-I-C-H. Perfect. And we will put those titles in our podcast description below. Uh, Sally, thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. And I'm sure our listeners will very much appreciate our little lesson on the Alexander Technique. Thank you so much for being here. It was my pleasure. And I look forward to if anyone wants to contact me via email, it's on the website. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Holistic Voice. I know I didn't know nearly anything about Alexander Technique, and I'm a lot more interested to checking it out now. Be sure to check out our Patreon page. It's up at patreon.com slash theholisticvoice, and there you can follow us and support us to continue to make these episodes. And there's a ton of really cool rewards that we're working on there. So definitely check out Patreon. Do you have friends, colleagues, or even professors that might find the holistic voice interesting, the topics that we talk about useful for them or their students? Please share the Holistic Voice podcast with them. We're looking to constantly grow our listener base and, of course, in an effort to grow our vocal community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time on the Holistic Voice. Holistic Voice.